Welcome to the News and Views podcast by the Fintech Times. Established in 2016, the Fintech Times is a global multimedia news outlet centered around the world's first leading fintech newspaper. We report on the latest and brightest ideas from the fintech world. Follow the conversation using hashtag TFT News and Views and follow us at the Fintech Times. Hi, I'm Polly Jean Harrison, Features Editor at the Fintech Times. Hi, I'm Francis Bignall and I'm a journalist at the Fintech Times. Hi, I'm Tyler Smith and I'm a journalist at the Fintech Times. Hello, hello, hello and welcome back to the Fintech Times News and Views podcast. We have a full house this week. Tyler, Francis and me are all here together, ready to talk about Fintech. Guys, how are you doing? Tyler, how was your holiday? I feel like let's start with that. Did you have a nice week off? Oh, wow. I mean, Polly, I just I can't tell you how much I needed to go away. Um, living in London is great, but it's also really lovely to get out to the beach and go swimming and eat lots of really nice food. Of course, I was in Italy, so loads of really nice food there. Um, but yeah, had a really, really great time and come back feeling much more refreshed. <laughs> so how are you guys? How have you, has your week been? Just hasn't been the same without you, Tyler, if I'm being honest. Like, just weren't as productive. We weren't doing as well, you know. We're so happy you're back. <laughs> Fear not, Francis. I've returned now, my son. Like, like the, like the, you know, the Lord Savior. I've returned to save you all. Um, Polly, how was your week? <laughs> my week's been pretty good, Tyler. Thank you. Yeah, it's been. Uh, I, I, I really like this time of year because we've had summer, and obviously everything starts ramping up because everyone's been off for ages. But I don't know. I just it, it feels like a really good time of year. Everything's so so fun so positive and it's autumn and I'm not hot anymore and I can wear my big cozy jumpers while I'm sat gremlining doing work so it's just a good it's just a good time it's a good time for everyone uh but anyway what are we going to be talking about this week Francis what are you bringing to the table it wouldn't be Francis if I didn't bring a crypto article to the table but it's something that I'm very very excited about I put a lot of work into and it is our discussing the ethereum merge to proof of stake lovely stuff and Tyler Today, we're going to be heading over the channel to France, where we're looking at the news of GoCardless, who have just introduced a verified mandates tool. So that should be really, really cool. What about you, Polly? Lovely stuff. And I am going to be looking at how Igloo has launched the first insurance product for gamers in Indonesia. So a nice, uh, nice varied bunch today. Uh, but Tyler, since you're back with us, I'm going to let you do the honours of going first. So take it away. Oh, thank you very much, Polly. Well, yes, this is uh, this lovely, lovely article that was uh, published whilst I was away. So unfortunately, I'm, I've been a bit out of the loop <laughs> for the last 10 days. So it's really great to see uh, what's what's been happening. Uh, and especially, as I mentioned, we're heading over the channel to France. So in France, uh, essentially, uh, there's a really big... Uh, percentage of businesses using a recurring uh, recurring revenue business model uh, which is essentially where you um, like make almost like subscription payments um, and it, these are unfortunately riddled with fraud as, as with most areas of innovation we always know that the fraudsters like to keep up the pace um, so so this has become a really really, really big problem where, where businesses are sending uh, goods and they're not arriving and this is actually pointed out in the in the article it said that 55 percent of french merchants are using this recurring revenues uh business model uh, yeah and 53 percent similar figure uh, will, will provide could uh, goods and services without actually confirming the customer's bank or identity which is usually 
where the gaps are for like the fraud to fit, uh, like seep in, if you get what I mean. So <clears throat> essentially what's happened is we have go-cardless. We all, we all love go-cardless. They do a lot, a lot, a lot. Uh, and um, it's really great to see that they are now introducing the verified mandates tool. Now, what this tool does is it combines the account information services capabilities of open banking with bank uh, debit to stop the fraud of co uh, customers intentionally trying to receive goods or services from merchants without paying for them. So reading uh, directly from the article itself, it says uh, verified mandates, which was actually introduced by GoCardless in the UK. They've done it in Germany and the US. So it's really sort of make sense for them to go to France. And I'm sure I have no doubt that they'll uh, keep on expanding it. But <clears throat> sorry, back on track. Uh, so GoCardless is introduced in Germany. It's a it's a uh, three-step process that uh, they're going to be using. Firstly, the customer in the merchant's checkout flow completes a standard bank debit mandate creation form, which anybody who's ever like bought anything online will be very familiar with. Um, this is then followed by a prompt from their bank, which will take them to their online banking platform where they'll log in and they'll uh, through their usual method. And then uh, at the final stage is sort of authorizing the the transaction itself. So it's it's a very quite simple method. It relies a lot on open banking, as was pointed out in the in the article. And I really think that this is going to be something that is going to be very popular in France. I mean, as I said, it's been launched in Germany, the UK, and the US by GoCardless. So there's obviously a very good amount of traction for it. Um, in terms of uh, e-commerce and its relationship with fraud, I mean, we, we saw uh, a lot of new initiatives come through last year and sort of through this year as well. Um, where whereby people would have to uh, authenticate their identity so i think that's a really really good step against fraud and it's just yeah it's just a really great thing to see and i think it's i think it's go cardless really doing well to read the room as well so i was just i mean you know this is a really great thing i don't i i don't really see too many downsides with it but from your perspective guys what's your view on this i had a, a couple of views on this and i think for the most part it's it's people wondering, is it really, you know, worthwhile? Because a lot of the time, especially when you're looking at sort of fraud and you think of fraud, you think of these huge thousand, well, I was going to say thousand dollar, but it can be thousand pounds. It can be thousand, whatever, thousands even, not even just a singular thousand. My point is, is that you often associate fraud with these big cash or, or payment transactions, that enormous fees. And sometimes people forget that, you know, as a, as consumers, we can we can be committing fraud as well with the, or no, I say we you can be committing fraud with the most sort of mundane sort of transactions, just sort of doing these small little things where, you know, you're you try to get something for free, so very cheap and sort of scamming out a business of of the money you owe it. In theory, I think it's a very very good counter fraud method because it's one of those things. That I think if you take a singular fraudulent transaction. And look at it on its own you might think right it's not a big deal it's just a very small amount but of course with the, if a lot of people are doing it and a lot of people are are successfully doing it as well that's going to amount to a lot of money and ultimately a big loss for companies so I, I think it's a really good idea and it's just one of those sort of realistic approaches that you know it's not only big hackers and fraudsters that are looking to to take advantage it's also sort of your daily 
person who can sometimes just think, you know what, I don't want to pay for this. It's only going to be like 20 quid, for example. And I think that's where I think it's a really good idea to sort of counter that. Yeah, I think you're you're absolutely right on the money, um, Francis. I mean, there's I think it's always good to have more in your arsenal against fraud. I think what would be really um, good to see, and this is something speaking from personal experience, where the consumer would be able to authenticate the details of the merchant. Um, personally, I've I've bought things online from fake merchants that have taken my money and never sent anything. And it was very difficult for me to know that they were an authentic merchant that actually had the product to send. Do you know what I mean? So I think uh, I think it would be really nice to see a sort of reverse of that. But I agree. I agree with everything you said. I mean, I think merchants are really looking to bolster their their defences. And I think that open banking is really able to provide that defence. What do you think, Polly? Yeah, I really um, love that point that you literally just said, Tyler, about uh, verifying merchants, because that has happened to me so many times. Like you think you're on a legit site and there's nothing to say that it isn't a legit site. And then you never see the things you paid for. And then you never see that money again because there's there's very few ways of getting it back. Um, so I love that idea. But and just in general, I think this this whole verified mandates thing, uh, it's a great example of the power of open banking and how open banking crops up in these sort of situations. As you know, open banking is just everywhere and it's just a really great tool that I'm so glad that we're using even more of. Um, and I think a key thing as well is the idea of keeping things secure or I guess making things more secure without adding friction and friction is that key word really when it comes to thinking about payments and payment experiences that you want to have as minimal friction as possible whilst maximum security and that's a really sort of challenging line that a lot of companies have to sort of deal with and and how do you manage that but I think this is a really great way uh, of doing so without adding extra friction for your customers, but allowing merchants to protect their revenue. So, yeah, I think I think it's a, a really great new feature, and I imagine a lot of people will be uh, taking this up for sure. Fantastic. Yes, I, I think uh, GoCardless are right on the money here, and we're always excited to see what they're going to do next. Uh, speaking of next, why don't we move on to Francis? I think you've got a very interesting article in store for us today. What, what, would you want to tell us a bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Tyler. So... A historic moment has really taken place in the cryptocurrency world, I suppose, for lack of a better term. And that is that Ethereum has completed its proof of stake merge. And what is the the merge has been the talk of the town in the crypto world for a while now. And it finally happened. But for those unaware, it, it might not be exactly clear what it means and why some people are so excited. So in our article, we we turn to the industry to really understand what what the proof of stake merge really was and why everyone was so excited for it. So previously, the Ethereum blockchain had been on a proof of work consensus that required miners to spend energy to use their computing hardware to solve a puzzle with the objective of avoiding Sybil attacks. This was the original way blockchains were created with the biggest cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, being mined in this way. However, this method of crypto mining has come under heavy scrutiny for a variety of reasons with economical concerns being one of the top causes for criticism. According to Forex Suggest, Ethereum used the second most energy for each transaction in 2021, consuming 62.56 kilowatts of energy, which produced 93.84 pounds of CO2. Despite being far more efficient than Bitcoin, this was still a very high energy cost that produced a worrying amount of CO2. 
Ethereum produced the second highest amount of CO2 in 2020 as well, with 16.6 million tons. And despite producing much less CO2 over the course of 2020 than Bitcoin, Ethereum was still operating at an unsustainable rate of energy consumption, which made it one of the dirtiest cryptocurrencies of the year. So by swapping proof of work for proof of stake, proof of stake where the real world value invested comes from Ethereum stake directly in a smart contract, would remove the need for miners to burn energy to add a block to the blockchain. The new POS, with the new POS census mechanism in effect, the more coins a node has staked, the greater its chances of being selected to add to the chain's next block. One of the experts that we heard from, Jamie Bezer, the CEO of AMB Investments, noted that the power is thought to be self-limiting by the inherent interest in the staking node, in the interest, sorry, the, the staking node has in Ethereum's worth. Which goes to show that it, by changing from proof of work to proof of stake, the success of Ethereum is really going to be limited on, on its popularity. If, it, if it's doing well and people are staking, then there's going to be a, a profound success. However, if people aren't, then the, the blockchain won't be able to progress. So we heard from a lot of people as to why this was such big news. And the general consensus was, is that it was going to be cheaper. Oh, sorry, not cheaper. That was one of the big misconceptions, in fact, is that although it would be a lot less energy intensive, the blockchain itself would not be cheaper to run. It would just be, uh, as I said, much more sustainable, and much more environmentally friendly, which in today's world is one of the most important, if not the most important thing that a company must consider. So, as I mentioned, we, we look, to the, look to the future to see what people thought this would mean for, for Ethereum. And what it really, what a lot of people were seeming to suggest was that it was, it was a case of buy the rumor and sell the fact. So they were suggesting that a lot of people are going to be investing in Ethereum now, as it's, it's thought to do extremely well due to its sustainability. And it's, it, that just would make it a much more attractive investment. However, it does leave beg the question of, uh, is there going to be a massive sellout causing a market crash? And so a lot of what people were saying is it's a little bit too soon to tell, which I guess is kind of anticlimactic considering it is such a big change. But as uh, one of our experts said, Lars Seer Christensen, chairman of the Concordium Foundation and founder of Danish investment bank Saxo Bank, explained that he did not believe much had changed as a result of the merge, but he wouldn't call it a non-event. And I think that's a really interesting way of saying, of looking at the merge in, in general. Because whilst inherently nothing has changed immediately, which is going to cause a huge knock-on effect, it is a massive deal for one of the biggest blockchains in the world to have changed its, its consensus to something much more sustainable. And it, it might show that there's going to be a reinvigorated sort of trust in blockchain and sort of take away that that question of oh, why why are so many people interested in such a filthy digital currency? So I really wanted to discuss this with you guys and sort of get your thoughts on what do you think the future holds, I guess, for cryptocurrencies and what the future for Ethereum is going to be. Tyler, what, what do you think? Well, I think that in terms of the future of cryptocurrencies and especially in regards to its environmental impact, I think that people are really becoming much more aware of, of the environmental impact, as I said, but also how they can actually contribute to making it a more 
a, a fairer, more stable ecosystem. It, this really reminded me a lot of an article we produced earlier this month about the the Swiss headquartered. Uh, I'm going to butcher their name. Oh God, um, I think they I think they pronounce it Siba. Ciba Bank, and they uh, launched a Ethereum staking service uh, on their thing, which, as you described, um, France would allow people to to invest in in the Ethereum more securely. Um, but one thing they really cited in their decision to do that was to make uh, the the Ethereum much more sustainable. And I think it cited, I think it cited in the article something like ninety nine point ninety five percent. Uh, more sustainable i think yeah i think that in light of especially the the recent crypto crash i think that people will really be looking to to get onto this um but yeah i i see i see it as generally quite a positive move yeah yeah i definitely agree and i think it will be interesting to see if it is an actual turning point for the crypto market or if it's just going to be a simple blip like as i said which is by the rumor the price soars up and then sell the fact when it gets to a high point and then the whole thing just crashes again in such a short space of time, which is, of course, the sort of the very nature of cryptocurrencies, the volatility that's a part of it. However, an interesting point was raised in sort of the security of, of, of the, new, the new blockchain with its consensus. And that was that investors themselves can sort of control how, how the crypto almost does in a sense because of it, it is so in, intrinsically tied with um with investor confidence i feel like it gives investors a lot more control over it polly what do you think yeah so i think uh you'll have to forgive me because as soon as someone starts talking about like crypto mining and blockchain and all of that my my ears just switch off i'm i I don't understand it and i wish i did and i'm trying so hard to to get it but i think uh an interesting thing i thought that ethereum was already a pretty green cryptocurrencies obviously that's that's my mistake but um i could have sworn ethereum was already or maybe i've read things about the the merge and my brain just gone oh yeah it's, it's a green cryptocurrency so that that's interesting for me and i think the one thing that i do know about crypto mining is that it is a huge drain of um power and just a huge drain of resources and so anything to help go against that huge drain sounds like a good idea to me um and i think just trying to make things more sustainable like you were saying francis it that's not a bad thing i think that's one of the major goals of the planet realistically moving forward is just to make things more sustainable and i think to do it within cryptocurrency which you know is a huge industry that so many people are like so interested in and just keeps getting more and more uh, people and investors every single day. I just think it makes so much sense to be trying this. But what's interesting from the article, obviously, is that we have a lot of opinions from a lot of different experts, and I think it's clear that no one really quite knows what's going to happen as a result of this. And that's very interesting to me because a lot of the time we do have, you know, people look ahead and be like, oh, it's going to be this, 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 and this. But I, to have this merge be legitimately like too soon to tell. It's a very interesting thing for me to come from the industry. So it's almost like, oh, okay, that's 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 pretty fun. Uh, but I think it's a good move anyway. You know, regardless of what happens, any move to try and make things more sustainable is always going to be a good move. And especially when it comes to things like increasing processing capacity, that makes sense as well. And I guess 
it's all about investor confidence, right? Like that's one of the big sort of buzz phrases that we hear thrown around when it comes to investing and in crypto, it's the same thing. It's about keeping your investor confidence and surely this merge is, is a way to do that. So yeah, I think good on them is my official line. Definitely. And then the way that I look at it is sort of like a diamond in the rough type of thing, especially because it's been such a sort of down trending year for cryptocurrencies ever since the initial crash at the start of the year. I mean, we talk about the crypto market crash and it still feels like we're in January, you know, Tyler, you were saying, oh, the current crypto crash. And I thought, yeah, at the start of the year, which was only a couple of weeks ago. So it's wild how much time has actually gone by and, you know, things haven't really recovered. But I think the way that it was summarized in the article is that the general consensus from the industry is that this was a momentous occasion, even if there was going to be little immediate change as a result. And over time, the Ethereum blockchain will be able to reap the rewards of the merge if it is able to maintain investor confidence, as you were saying, Polly. Should this waver, that is when questions will be brought up. But for the time being, it seems that Ethereum has made a great move to become more sustainable and increase its processing capacity, cyber security as well, and in terms of sustainability. So I think it is a good move. And like, like it'll, it'll be a case of, you know, time will tell. We'll see how it is in a year's time. And maybe we'll be talking about it in a on our 200th podcast, who knows? So Polly, what's your article about this week? Thank you, Francis. Uh, Yeah, so my article is about how Igloo has launched the first insurance product for gamers amid a rise of mobile sports in Indonesia. So Indonesia is actually one of the largest gaming markets uh, within Southeast Asia with 43% of the world's professional esports players uh, hailing there and 79% of the population play an average of 8.5 hours a week. Um, And it's thought that these gaming hotspots will attract even more investment in the coming years as the government is supporting the development of the local gaming industry. Uh, And but unfortunately, because of this growing popularity of mobile sports in the country, it's also brought with it an increase of health concerns associated with prolonged gaming sessions. And this was really interesting to me because I think it's very easy to sort of dismiss this as being like, oh, gamers not being very well. Oh, that's really funny. Oh, they've they've sprained their thumbs or whatever. But actually, it's a pretty serious, a pretty serious situation uh, with the World Health Organization has recently begun to consider video game addiction as a disease that needs treatment. Um, and as well, there's a lot of different sort of uh, illnesses and other afflictions you can get from prolonged uh, gaming, you know, carpal tunnel, um, cardiac arrest, even, you know, all sorts of things like that. And I think this is just it. It's it's these sort of developments that have prompted intratech companies to take action, which is where Igloo comes in, uh, who has partnered with Dana, Dana, um, Indonesia's leading e-wallet, uh, to facilitate the country's first insurance product for gamers. And again, this is just very interesting to me because it's it feels like something you sort of 10, 15 years ago, we'd all laugh about and think, oh, that's really silly. Oh, gamers hurting themselves. But now it's like, yeah, gaming is actually a pretty serious thing and it's a way that people make money and make a living and if it's a way that people make money and make a living then yeah clearly need some insurance for it to protect against that you know we footballers i'm sure are insured out the wazoo for their you know bodies because they use it to play football and make a living um so i just thought it was a really interesting thing to bring up today and so the insurance product is designed to protect the gaming community uh, and it covers heart attack and carpal tunnel syndrome um, and you can purchase protection on the Dana app and choose from plans as low as RP1000. I don't know what that currency is. I probably should have checked that. Um, 
And it's also the Asia Insurance Awards, also named Igloo's Gamer Protection Product of the Year. Uh, so I'd love to get you guys' thoughts on this. What do you think about it? Do you think we're going to see more uh, gaming insurance products come up? I think one of the, the main things um, that the article also goes into slightly is how Indonesian mobile legends Bang Bang player Totoro, Totoro? I don't know if I'm saying that right, uh, but he announced early retirement due to severe carpal tunnel syndrome. Uh, and because most illnesses are chronic and quite hard to detect, professional gamers like Turo can continue to play without already knowing they have this injury and it can often make things worse. And a report also showed that prolonged gaming could also lead to a fatal heart attack. So quite serious stuff. But I mean, what do you guys think on this? You know, the world of mobile gaming. I'd love to know your thoughts, Francis. I didn't realise it was so serious, some of the consequences that could I know, happen. right? I mean, it, you just... When you think of mobile gaming, I think of stuff like Clash of Clans or something like that. Um, Angry Angry Birds. <laughs> Angry Birds, yeah. Just those old school doodle jump, those things. And um, it's just, it's really interesting to see how far the gaming industry has come. And having a game in myself, I think it's, I, I love to see it. Um, I think it's great. Uh, there are a few games that I do follow the esports for and, and things like that. And it's just, it's really interesting to see, I think, that, you know, how seriously things are being taken. But I think more importantly is how big mobile games really are. I think in in the UK at the very least, and I believe it's the same in the States as well, mobile gaming really doesn't compare to, to sort of console gaming or PC gaming or, well, those are the two main two, I suppose. But it really doesn't compare in terms of the the... The professional scene but i think once you start to go abroad into sort of the apac and the mayor regions i i think it's a completely different story i think because of the accessibility that you can get through mobile gaming and i guess if you're if you're looking at mobile gaming you can look at things like axie infinity as well the the nft gaming um the organization which obviously many are making a living off of now from creating nfts which i think is just another really really interesting way to see how far the industry has come it's no longer just a hobby it's a way of, that people are genuinely making a living and i always really like the idea and i was really happy when i saw that you were going to bring this article to the table because i always think it is a really fun sort of way to sort of almost demystify the sort of misconceptions around gaming as well because i feel like a lot of people still just look at it like you know people who are pro esports players aren't taken seriously and it's like, well, not only are they probably going to be making more money than some of us, that they're also spending a ridiculous amount of time. They're putting, well, I don't want to sound too dramatic because this, the way that I'm going to say it is going to sound overly dramatic. They're putting their lives on the line. They really are for our entertainment. No, but do you, do you know what I mean? There, there are some injuries that are associated from putting so much strain to perfect an, an art, I suppose. And... And again, this is the thing is that even describing gaming in this way, it seems a little bit bizarre, but I, I don't think it is anymore. That's I, I don't know if you guys agree, but it seems weird to be saying it's an art almost or that, you know, it's, it's difficult to perfect because you've got this idea in your head that you've come home from school, you've put on Call of Duty for like 10 minutes and your mom's shouting at you to come for dinner. That's in my head what gaming is. But then it's come so, so far since then that I think... I don't know. I think it's just a, it's a different environment now, and I think it needs to be treated as such. So I think Igloo's move is great. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with you. I know I'm sort of making light of it and poking poking fun at it, but no, like gaming, you're right. It's completely changed from just something you did with your mates after school to now a huge industry. As you know, what we've seen, especially with our game tech 
uh, focuses in the past um, and things like that. You know, it's a huge industry. And it's it's just really interesting to see how that develops and how that's evolved. And obviously insurance is one of the things that's evolved out of that. And I think it's interesting because a lot of the times it's it's all about kind of what you see as a hobby and then what you see as a job. Because pretty much anything could be a job, even though the majority of people will game as a hobby. Some people game as a living. And I think it's it's even you say we can't see it as an art, but I kind of think that we can at this point. I think what what else is it realistically and it just yeah it's just a really it's a really interesting situation Tyler what do you think about it it's an art form I think uh, to be honest I really wasn't as Francis said I wasn't really expecting it to be such a serious issue when I looked at this when I looked at this article initially but I can definitely see how these medical issues will arise and I think it's really good to have like that sort of uh, insurance option on the table I think that there's a lot of different factors that would contribute to somebody, for example, having a heart attack. So um, I, th- I think it would be really interesting to see how they sort of measure the insurance rate against the individual players. Like, how much are they playing? What are they playing? Uh, you know, I, what position are they playing in? Are they sitting down? Are they standing up? Like, you, so there's a lot of questions here. But I think to round off all of our comments so far, I think that you know, it is a very big industry and there are people that take it very, very seriously. And um, unfortunately, I'm not I'm not a massive gamer myself, but I can understand how people's livelihoods really depend on this sector. And I think it's really good. I think it's really good to see insurance. Yeah, I, I do. And I think maybe we'll see more solutions. So what I think would be really interesting is if we saw this kind of idea of an insurance product expand even further, you know, outside gaming, because there's a lot of industries and a lot of ways that people sort of earn a living that you wouldn't necessarily think are like traditional, but can still, you know, hurt yourself and your body. Like carpal tunnel is a thing that a lot of people can get if they work in an office, you know, sat at a desk all day, typing, wrist, repetitive strain injury. That's all things that anyone can get following more like, you know, traditional jobs. I think an example is what one of my uh, friends used to crochet bags and that was her job. She crocheted bags, but she did it so much that she's basically wrecked her wrists and like she she physically can't really use her hands for everything. They're, they're so weak. And she's only like 26, 27 and she's only been doing it for a couple of years. So it, it, I, it, this insurance product from Igloo, I think, has really just so many different facets of use across industries, not just gaming. Um, but anyway, I think, you know, We've talked about that enough and it's just a super interesting thing. Um, but anyway, thank you guys for bringing all those other stories to the table as well. I think we had a nice mix this week, nice little bit of variety. Uh, but if you're interested in hearing any more about the stories that we've talked about today, head on over to the FinTech Times website where you can read plenty more news and insights all about the FinTech world. Uh, but for now, why don't we move on to what I learned this week? So each week, uh, so much news and insights across our desk that we're learning new things about fintech all the time. And we thought it would be fun to share that with our listeners. Um, so, Tyler, I know you've been away, but have you learned anything this week? Anything at all? Well, I was actually doing a lot for the fintech ecosystems uh, series that we were running this month. And it's been super, super interesting, actually. I, I got loads of really great responses. One One that actually stood out to me was the... Mass Fintech Hub, which is a Massachusetts-based uh, community. Uh, and I spoke to two companies who are, who are members of this uh, hub. 
One was called Vestigo Ventures, who described its association with the hub as critical. And the other one, which was Reading Cooperative Bank, which is a Massachusetts native bank. And they also said that uh, being able to to connect with with like-minded fintechs and like-minded businesses was really was really key for their operations and to to innovate as well. So yeah, I, I would really recommend anybody anybody listening to this uh, really really go and check that one out because it's uh, it's a great read. What about you guys? Go on, Francis. What did you learn this week? This week I learned about European e-commerce spending from Molly, which found that e-commerce retailers must act fast to remain competitive as 79% of European shoppers plan to reduce online spending in a significant downturn. Meanwhile, 53% have had a pessimistic economic outlook for the upcoming year. I just found it very interesting how how things have changed from from when we came out of lockdown and everyone was being super optimistic again. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Uh, And then what I learned this week uh, was about click fraud. Uh, Basically, the cybersecurity company Polygraph has warned companies in the UK and Ireland that their online advertisements may be at risk of click fraud. And I had never heard of that before and what it was. So it's basically how um, groups create fake websites and monetize the content using online ads and bots generate fake clicks. And then each click can take up a few pence from the advertisers. I'd never heard of that before. And I thought that was a pretty interesting kind of fraud. I'll say it once and I'll say it again. Fraud is terrible, but also, man, people are clever. They're so clever. Um, But anyway, thank you guys once again for such a fantastic podcast. It's been really great to chat to you about fintech. Um, I hope you've enjoyed it as well. And I will catch you on the next one. Guys, it's been really great speaking to you. And yes, see you next week. As always, see you then, guys. Thanks for listening to the News and Views podcast by the Fintech Times. Don't miss next week's episode and continue the conversations using hashtag TFT News and Views and follow us at the Fintech Times.